John Schnatter has been back in the news. We'll talk about what the famous Louisville restaurant founder has been saying. Plus, we look into who's been giving to Trump and Biden. Juicy, right? Stick around for the Access Louisville podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is David Mann, and joining me today is Haley Coffin. Hi there. Chris Larson. Hey, hey. And Jason Thomas. What it is. Access Louisville is a weekly podcast from Louisville Business First. Each week, we bring you the latest news and the sharpest opinions on the city we love, Louisville, Kentucky. But before we do that, I'm going to start this show the way I always do, with a difficult question for our panel. So guys, there's a story on our website, louisvillebusinessfirst.com, about the Frazier Museum giving away free memberships to anyone in Louisville or the surrounding counties. If you're interested, you can simply go to fraziermuseum.org free and you can sign up there. So my question to you guys is, what's a local attraction that you have shamefully never visited you really think you should in the next year? I'm gonna start, I've never visited the Louisville Slugger Museum in spite of the fact that I'm a baseball fan and I've like gone there and done an interview and had to explain to them as I was doing the interview that I've never visited before to which they were like, we'll give you a free pass. And I was like, nah, that's unethical. Don't give me a free pass. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's shame right. Right. this shame was years you. ago and I still haven't gone. Uh, I really need to go. I, I went as like a fun. child. <laughs> I didn't even live here and I went <laughs> Yeah, that's like probably the one local attraction that I've never checked out. And I don't know why. I love baseball, but um, for some reason, it just just never makes it. Uh, how about you guys? Uh, anyone want to start here? I'll go first. Um, I really want to go to Waverly Hills Sanatorium. I'm big into like the paranormal and mm-hmm. spooky stuff. And um, I don't really want to go like to the haunted house that they're having. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not like the full haunted house experience because of COVID, but they're having a haunted thing, like a haunted tour um, this fall. But I want to wait until there's like a historical tour because I feel like that would be really interesting. Um, but <laughs> that's probably an odd one. Um, but I've always wanted to go because no, I watched know, I stuff. I've never gone to that either. So really- Yeah, I don't think it's... Um, <clears throat> shocking that I haven't been or anything. I don't think it's as appalling as not going to the Slugger Museum, but um, still something that I want to see um, within the next year or so. How about you, Jason? Uh, I feel equally shamed, David. I have never been to the Slugger Museum either. And really? I'm a huge oh my God. baseball fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love baseball. Big Reds fan. Yeah, my brother, my dad have been there. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I've had like December. tons of cousins from out of town go there and like I mm. have been. <laughs> yeah. Well, this Frazier thing honestly couldn't have happened at a better time for me either because I've never been there. Oh, I don't yeah. want to admit that, but um, um, I was I've a history Frazier. college, love history. Yeah, yeah. Frazier's cool. I really like it. I've been there a couple of times. We had a few business first events in there over the years. So uh, I get to cheat because of my job. I've, I've gone to a lot of these places, but for some reason, never the Bad Factory. Uh, Chris, how about you? Yeah, so Bat Factory, um, the uh, Little Slugger Museum actually is somewhere that I have visited, but I went there for a, uh, uh, I think it was Access, no, it was it was one of the uh, entry-level uh, events that a GLI does for people who are new to the city, and it's 
the name's escaping me right now. Uh, but you know, they, they, they put it on and you go and you learn all about, about the city of Louisville. You get to network with other professionals and we went there, mm-hmm. but that was the extent of, uh, that still counts. That I think. Does it count? All right. Well, I'm going to count it. <laughs> so, so been there. Uh, one, one of the better, one of the places I want to go in earnest and actually check out is the speed museum. We had an event there. I think it was at the end of 2018. Mm-hmm. I think I remember that. Anyway, in one of our one of our year end events, it was a it was a great shindig. But uh, you know, I wanted to go kind of explore this really awesome and well curated museum that um, you know, in a, to borrow a phrase that we like here in Louisville, a lot kind of punches above our weight. Like mm-hmm. I, from what I know about it, it's this you know art experience that is kind of unique for a city of our size and and cultural access. So. I'm a yeah. huge, huge I want fan. I want, I want to do that. And yeah, Chris, that's an amazing place, especially since the renovation a few years ago. Yeah. And as a father of two young ones, you'll love uh, this. The whole like bottom floor is for toddlers and, and youngins. It's like immersive learning oh, experiences. Wow, really? yeah, it is so cool. That's one so of my like a- secret places to, to stow away in. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, and the, one of the reasons that I haven't gotten out as a, a new uh, resident in the area because I've got young kids and mm-hmm. you can't take kids anywhere, especially like not a place where they could potentially like damage or destroy something far, valuable. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, they'd be running around, they try to climb up and grab a statue or something or some kind of like other casting and it like shatters into a million pieces. And they're like, that statue's amazing. I wonder what it looks like from the top. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I'm going to go check this out. They're very uh, hawkish about watching uh, uh, people there, so you wouldn't have to worry about that. Okay. But they do have a lot of uh, programs for like toddlers where they'll do like tours around the museum. You're with them, of course, but they do things like, hey, match these colors in this art piece, or what shape is that? So it's oh, perfect. I got a kid that's actually old enough to appreciate that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Kids, nice. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, there is our to do list uh, for sometime this fall. Um, maybe we'll reconvene in a few months and see who has made it to these attractions with the COVID spike going on. I'm kind of paranoid. I don't want to get out as much, uh, but hopefully, uh, hopefully that we'll see that tamp down at some point. We can kind of get back to doing these activities, you know, even in a limited way. So um, let's see. So I'll switch gears a little bit here. Uh, well, let's talk about John Schnatter, uh, founder of Papa John's, um and uh you know long he's kind of just a, a an opinionated guy uh here in louisville and uh and we've uh you know we've reached out to him many times over the years he was back in the news this week i guess uh haley uh what how what how's he back in the spotlight now yeah so uh john schnatter just became a seeking alpha contributor um if you if you're not familiar with seeking alpha it's um a publication that kind of follows the stock market and allows contributor contributors to kind of weigh in on what they think are smart buys or bad buys and that type of stuff. Um, so John actually wrote a response to a contributor. And I think his name was Joe Arnold or Josh Arnold or something like that. Mr. Arnold, um, <laughs> who said that Papa John's is a bad buy because they're benefiting from the rising tide of COVID um, COVID sales for pizza companies um, because delivery has been really successful for them um, and not been benef- and not actually um, benefiting from their own execution. Right. It's not COVID. them. It's the fact that everybody's. Yeah. It's the away. fact that the sector is doing well and not the company itself. Yeah. Um, and anyways, John Schnatter wrote a response article back 
saying, I agree with you. Here are the reasons why I agree with you. Also, I take issue with the fact that you called me, uh, <laughs> what's the word that he used? Um, arguably unstable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he was like, um, I take issue with that. <laughs> and then gave his reasoning for that as well. Um, so it was a pretty interesting letter um, in which he talks about Papa John's decision to move um, much of their corporate functions to Atlanta. He mm -hmm. mentions, um, you know, brain drain happening within the company of top executives and institutional knowledge already leaving it. Mm -hmm. um, so he he's just worried about the company um, or he says he's worried about the company that he founded, um, you know, being separated from its home here in Louisville. Mm -hmm. Now, how has Papa John's been since he left or, or I guess more accurately since the new CEO came in, uh, Rob Lynch? Um, like just for my coverage of Papa John's, I write about every one of their earnings calls every time they do any kind of update um, on their sales progress. I feel like their turnaround story is like almost complete in a way. Like I feel like this last big move to Atlanta is going to like complete the transformation away from John Schnatter, mm -hmm. which maybe that's why he's being so vocal about it is because he doesn't want to be forgotten as a part of this company's history that has clearly moved on. I feel like 2019 was much more of like a rebuilding year and now 2020 is like where Papa John's has started to shine. Mm -hmm. um, They're moving to Atlanta. They got Shaq. They're kind of they got Shaq. They got a new CEO who's really into menu innovation. <laughs> they got the Shakaroni, which we all have enjoyed at this point, I think. <laughs> yes. Multiple times. <laughs> yeah, multiple times. This I want the Shakaroni to come back, please. That was my favorite. <laughs> that was my favorite promotion. Um <laughs> anyways, um I feel like Papa John's has been doing really well, but I can also see the argument that you know, the entire pizza sector has been doing really well since March. Like sure. Domino's is yeah. doing well. Um, the only concerns are, um, you know, the rising cost of um, what they need to make the pizzas. Like cheese is expensive, meat's expensive. Um, so that's going up. And plus, you know, I think all restaurants are concerned about rising, um, rising labor costs and like competitive staffing and stuff because everyone's been trying to hire like, absurd amounts of people like 10,000 people here 20,000 people there um so I feel like that's the big concern moving forward mm -hmm. and we happen to have our own John Schnatter thing going on this week uh when he got this uh, column out on Seeking Alpha so what were you working on that was unrelated to this yeah unrelated to the Seeking Alpha com column um I had reached out to John mostly because I've had a couple of entrepreneurs. I write about startups a lot and I've had a couple of entrepreneurs reach out to me like, Hey, do you have a contact direct contact with John Schnatter? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I have a connection to his team. Um, and anyways, I feel like they are just kind of seeking his wisdom, maybe some of his cash. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I thought I could at least, you know, impart some of that um, wisdom and I reached out to his team and asked if he'd be willing to weigh in on a couple of entrepreneurial related questions. Um, so I asked about, you know, how he knew it was the right time to scale Papa John's. Um, he also is going to be talking about um, like what he likes about entrepreneurship and how he thinks, um, how he thinks Louisville can increase um, entrepreneurial success. Um, so it's pretty interesting. Um, he also answered them in video format. Yeah, he made videos for us. And, yeah. Uh, 
He made videos, which I thought was unique. Um, if you're following his Instagram account, he's always like talking on his stories about different things. Um, like yesterday, he was at the White House. Um, so if you're in, into some uh, more John Schnatter videos, uh, his Instagram has um, been pretty interesting since COVID yeah. started. <laughs> you know, yeah, you've recommended it a hundred times, but I, I keep forgetting. <laughs> that. I keep forgetting. You need to get on that Instagram more, David. Come on. I guess, yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. So, Jason, you watched the videos. What, what yeah. did you think of them? I, 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 yeah. He came off better than he did on WDR. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we all saw that. I was Reckoning. like, oh, God, are we going <laughs> to – I didn't know what to expect. But, you know, I thought they were great. You know, he came across as really relatable and, and down to earth to me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we forget the dude started a pizza empire out of a broom closet <laughs> in a bar in Jeffersonville, you know. So I could almost picture myself in what is probably a massive uh, living room of his uh, just sitting there, you know, talking about his mm-hmm. career and his start. And, you know, he was very – very uh relatable I, yeah i really enjoyed it and you can tell he enjoyed talking about the subject matter i thought just yeah. entrepreneurship and that sort of thing oh there's a moment yeah in that in that video when he talks about when he knew that papa john's was more than probably what started out of a broom closet but knew that it would potentially be really big it's just it's to see that from some you know these people have such larger than life personalities and you know mm-hmm. this, this huge corporation so to see that spark that aha moment was pretty cool to see yeah and he talked about um going to the local dominoes in jefferson and yeah jeffersonville and uh and asking the guy that's the manager of dominoes how much he was doing per week and uh yep. and he got the guy to tell him how much he was doing per week <laughs> And he said something like, oh, I'm doing more than that. If I can be <laughs> get him anywhere. So, was it Domino's or McDonald's? I thought he said Domino's. It was Domino's. Oh, yeah. okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was just interesting that he, like, mentioned that. So Yeah. Uh, he, I, one more interesting fact. Uh, he said that the original goal of starting Papa John's was he was hoping that he could make $50,000 a year. And hopefully get a date like that second part <laughs> to that answer was um interesting to me which i mean he was married for a long time um pretty recently got a divorce so i i'm assuming he got that i guess he got date. that date so yeah <laughs> and probably then some i don't know <laughs> yeah um and i wonder if fifty thousand, how much that translates to i guess when was that back in the early 1984. 90s oh yeah 84 so that would have been probably probably a great deal of money back in 1984 so um so anyway i guess uh you know anybody can take this one is there an entrepreneur or a founder that you'd love to meet um doesn't have to be local i guess um if i got what's like, that who, who, i got a couple uh for, right off the top like who wouldn't want to spend an afternoon with elon musk like as far as interesting, as far as just, like, interesting sure. people go like that he's got to be numero uno mm-hmm. uh in, at least for me i never got the chance to really i never got the chance to meet uh david jones senior the guy who started and led humana for the longest time um mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of stories about people starting companies and then like that founding ceo wants to transition out and I'm pretty sure he actually stepped out of that CEO role for a while and then came back and helped pivot the company into what it is now, which is a, you know, a, a health insurance giant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in his years, I think after, uh, you know, he stepped away from kind of finally 
they've kind of expanded in not only health insurance, but also in healthcare. So, you know, just being able to talk to him kind of in a, like a, a how I built this kind of way, would, I think would be really in- interesting. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's out there, there's stuff out there, you know, that I could read, but actually being able to meet him, talk to him and yeah. you know, see how he explains this, how he built this huge health insurance and health, uh, healthcare empire would be, I think, a fascinating conversation. Yeah, it, it was. I actually, I met him once. Um, obviously, he passed away a few years ago, but I met him. He was doing a series for KET, um, kind of explaining his story. KET's uh, Kentucky Educational Television. They they did a spot with UofL where he kind of talked through, he found him in. It was fascinating. I mean, the way he talked about it, it was like um, just – kind of it seemed like he was just off the cuff thinking of things and like uh, implementing i remember he said something like we were gonna start a nursing home so we hired a nurse nurse nursing home <laughs> and like he kind of had this like <laughs> sure why not uh right. thing you know think, and uh, it, it was fascinating to hear him tell the tell the tale entrepreneurs like that i think probably their minds probably just move a mile a minute about just about anything. And they, they're probably just firing off any kind of ideas to see what it's. Mm-hmm. Um, sp- speaking of entrepreneurs that we've met, I met Kent Taylor, Texas Roadhouse uh, about a week ago. Uh, and uh, that was awesome. I had such a great a time talking guy. to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's funny. He's like, got like you, you were peanuts? saying, I, yeah, I got two packages of peanuts. Uh, they're nice. packaged now, by the way. They're getting they're getting rid of the Texas Roadhouse buckets of peanuts because oh. of COVID. Oh, COVID! You keep nothing sacred anymore, man. Damn you, COVID! You're, you can still get peanuts; they'll just be packaged. But anyways, uh, Kent Taylor was really great. Um, very candid, kind of just talked to me about what he was feeling um, and the progression of all of the um, all of the restaurants that he started. If, some of you might not remember that he also started Buckhead Mountain Grill um, and sold it in 1994, um, had a couple of other concepts. And I was talking to him about his most recent concept, um, Jaggers. I keep wanting to pronounce it Jaegers because, you know, the drink, <laughs> but yeah. it's Jaggers. Um, and it's song. a, yeah. And it's a, <laughs> it's a fast, fast casual um, concept with chicken and burgers and it's, Anyways, it was just a really awesome conversation. So I can cross him off my bucket list of entrepreneurs to meet, but I have, I still want to meet uh, Rob Lynch because I feel like I get, I have this connection um, to John Schnatter where I can reach out to him and ask him questions through his team. Um, But we really haven't gotten any kind of exclusive um, chance to sit down with Rob Lynch. And I feel like there's a lot of interesting, um, interesting conversations that we could have with him just on mm-hmm. like how he feels about the direction of the company and um, how he's feeling about Louisville. <laughs> Cause I think everyone Obviously. wants to know, like <laughs> I think everyone wants to know if he just plans to, you know, pull out slowly <laughs> to where no one notices or something. I, I doubt he would go on the record about something like that. But um, anyways, I, I really just would like the chance to, you know, talk to him over the phone or anything like that. Um, I think he'd be next on my list. <laughs> There you go, Papa John's. Um, balls in your court. You got to get us a uh, get us that interview. <laughs> um, wouldn't it be great to have both John Schnatter and Rob Lynch on the show and talk about all the things Papa John's is doing? I bet we could never do that. <laughs> we'd, we'd have to mute the mics like the presidential debate. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I wonder which one would be worse. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, 
you guys ever think you'd want to be an entrepreneur? Has that ever like crossed your mind? You want to start your own business? It does. And then I slap myself across the face every time I have that thought. <laughs> I, mean, I still I, think like, I, I still think I want to be an entrepreneur, especially after working in business first. I interview so many people mm, yeah. who have done it and they just make it seem so easy. And I'm just kind of like, well, oh, maybe I could do this. So, <laughs> and that's the thing. That's where the slapping comes in. Right? <laughs> you got to realize that. I mean, those guys probably will go, you know, like a week where they're averaging, averaging like two hours of sleep because, you know, they're, they're never not working. Like yeah. we kind of feel like sometimes we're like during busy times when we got stories, we got to turn in or we get, we're juggling multiple <laughs> long projects where, you know, we're working late, but like we can turn it off. Like we can just stop and then we can wake up in the morning and our job is still going to be there. And, you know, barring us probably a scheduling problem, like, you know, nothing catastrophic will happen if you just stop working. And that, that doesn't happen with entrepreneurs, especially for folks in, in the startup realm where, they are either building, like literally developing new, some new form of technology or some new software or in kind of a more sales heavy kind of approach to a, uh, you know, a startup where they're trying to, you know, either sell a product or they're trying to, uh, you know, get investors to get off the ground. Like they have to do all of that all the time. And it's just them. There's no one else. There's not like an editor to, to appeal to for advice or mm-hmm. someone else, unless you, you got to, you know, unless you got co-founders and somebody's helping you out, there's no one else you can really turn to. It's all on you. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think I can handle that. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's, a lot, right. it's a lot of stress there. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's a lot. Man, now I don't want to do it. <laughs> as, as someone who writes about uh, startups and entrepreneurs pretty regularly, um, I kind of get my fill of like risk just by listening to them talk. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, making me nervous here. Um, but Prior to starting this job and prior to my last job, um, before Business First, I was actually approached by someone who wanted to invest in me to start a coffee shop in a small town and like write a newsletter at the coffee shop and like just have this like local community hub of news. Um, So I actually like had some kind of deal in the works and I was like, I just can't commit to opening, opening a brick and mortar coffee shop at age. What was I? 24 at the time. I'm like, I don't have enough experience to do this. Even if my husband, you know, has a business and banking background, I can't. <laughs> so yeah. just moved on and kept writing. <laughs> What's the We're it? glad you did. Uh, it was in Southern Illinois. Dang. Back in 2016, 2015, maybe. Sonia Haley, coffee shop writer, coffin. <laughs> I like it. Um... Yeah, I'll go ahead and switch gears here and we'll talk about campaign contributions. Speaking of people with money, Chris just got uh, (laughs) done uh, digging through some campaign contributions to uh, Biden and Trump. Um, Spoiler, when we published the uh, the who gave the most to Trump, it got way more views than the who gave the most to (laughs) Biden. I don't know why that was. I'll let uh, I'll let some pundit explain why that was but uh uh anyway uh chris so uh who raised more money in kentucky was it biden or trump all right i think i uh i think i'm going to be blowing everybody's minds here and completely shattering expectations when i tell you <laughs> that trump outraised biden by almost a factor of three. Oh my gosh um, uh, that is you know off. a red state thing <laughs> yeah. i guess so yeah so biden at least according to the data that I was able to pull, uh, Biden raised $705,000 compared to Trump's 
2.91 million in the state in the at least as far as the FC, FEC data shows so far. Um, I mean, some people like to look at fundraising as uh, indicators of enthusiasm, like who's willing to actually put their money behind a candidate, and obviously the enthusiasm by far and away, at least as far as possible electoral electoral college outcomes go, is in favor of Trump. Yeah. Just based on that alone. And then of course, in my story, I noted that, you know, like the uh, 538 um, electoral college, uh, I guess, predictor, for lack of a better term, they project which way they think the states will go. They are giving uh, Kentucky to Trump 99 times out of 100. Yeah, <laughs> I would say that makes sense. Sounds Although, about on, right. on the fundraising, I was thinking... I mean, Kentucky's obviously a red state, but Louisville is obviously like a blue democratic city. And most of the people, well, a lot of the people with money in Kentucky live in Louisville. But I guess a lot of the people with money in Louisville are probably still more uh, red than blue. So uh, <laughs> it depends, uh, you know, but, um, but I guess that's the dynamic at work here because yeah, there's a, like Kentucky's a solid red state. I don't think it'll ever I don't know when the last time it went blue was. I would maybe Clinton in 1992, but um, yes, I'll have to look that up. Is that right? Yes, it is. Oh, wow. Look at there. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's been a solid red state for many, many elections now. So, um, so I could see that. But uh, I guess who were the top donors to each candidate? You, you, you were able to see their names, right? Yeah, so before we get into that, I want to make sure that everybody listening here understands something that I don't think a lot of people understand, and that is that political contributions uh, above a certain amount of money are a matter of public record. So if you have donated to a presidential campaign, or I think any campaign, within a certain amount of time and, and to a certain amount of money, your name, like everything like about you is noted and written down and then disclosed publicly in an attempt to try to bring as much transparency to our elections as possible. Mm-hmm. So. Hopefully nobody is too too offended when we uh, publish these people's names, but there's just this assumption that you have to know that these political campaigns have to do this as a way to try to, like I said, bring transparency to elections. So on the Trump side, I'm just going to read off the like the top five donors. The top five are Lynn Martin, who donated about fifteen thousand and three hundred dollars. Uh, June Atlas donated eight thousand nine hundred. Randall Clark eighty four hundred. Uh, Michael Kern eighty four hundred, and then Fred Burns uh, about eighty three hundred. Uh, where were are, th- are those folks concentrated in Louisville or elsewhere? Uh, these folks, I believe, these folks are concentrated uh, out in the state. Unfortunately, don't have my uh, pivot table set up to have cities. Um, but you know, if anybody ever want, if anybody wants to you know email me or reach out to me on social media, glad to be able to chat with you about what the uh, spreadsheet and the data and the data show. Also, mm-hmm. would love to be able to learn from anybody who listens and does this kind of spread spreadsheet wizardry because I mm-hmm. sure could get you could use getting better at it. Uh, and then on the Biden side, we have uh, top five in William Trent, fifty six hundred dollars. Christina Brown, fifty six hundred dollars. Craig Deering about 5200 Joseph Fugit 5000 and Cornelia Bonnie 4800 yeah 
couple of recognizable names on that one. Christina Brown. Yeah. And with a lot of these folks, um, at least as they're identified, and of course, these people have to identify their occupation and who they're employed by. Um, on both sides, most of these folks identify as either retired or self-employed. Yeah. All right. Well, um, there's a limit to how much you can donate, right? You know, there is. Um, and it actually has to, there are specific limits within uh, different parts of the election. So you can, there is a, a maximum contribution that you can give to a campaign, uh, you know, during the primary, and then you can give again during the general election. Um, I was writing a story for you actually earlier today, so I wasn't able to get, the, get those limits, but you can go to the FEC website. FEC, it's literally just FEC.gov, and you can study exactly what those limits are and you know how uh, presidential candidates' campaigns are supposed to be handling that money. Right. And uh, let's see, sort of related, but not really. I mean, it's still money in politics, but uh, you also did a story about lobbying in Kentucky. What industry is spending the most on uh, lobbyists in Kentucky? Yeah, um, so the, I'm trying not to be snarky with this answer, but business, just gener generically business <laughs> is the biggest uh, spenders in, uh, in lobbying. Uh, the, top, the top spenders in, in lobbying in the state are, e are businesses themselves or they represent specific business sectors. And number one, by far and away, is the Kentucky uh, Chamber of Commerce. Like mm -hmm. they're the number one spender. Um, they obviously probably you know, have the largest base of membership and therefore you know, resources that they can you know, raise and then spend on trying to influence policy in the state. They also have like the widest you know, appeal and impact on you know, on businesses because that's just generically they represent business. They want Kentucky to be business friendly. And then the industry just behind that is healthcare with several uh, organizations in the top 20 being healthcare related mm -hmm. uh, or being like being healthcare providers themselves. Yeah, you had like the hospital association on there. Yeah, hospital number, association is number two. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. that was a big one. It's interesting to see health healthcare on there um, considering, you know, how much of, I think, time we spend in politics on healthcare policy and that sort of thing. Uh, so not surprised to see healthcare on there, but uh, it's, it's interesting to see how much healthcare is spending. And we're talking here, we're talking about state lobbying. We're not talking about lobbying, you know, the U S Congress We're talking about lobbying the state legislature. So, um, but I bet it, I bet it's very similar in a lot of States with a lot of healthcare stuff on there. So yeah, and if I if I may uh, hop in one more time, you know, the, one of the bigger like non like road expense, uh, road expenses are usually number one, the number one expense in a state budget. Like number two, three, four, maybe five, behind maybe things like education. Um, you know, the, the, those top spending priorities are also going to include paying the state's Medicaid program. Mm -hmm. That's the safety net health plan for just people that you could generically describe as vulnerable, people with certain health conditions or uh, after the passage of the Affordable Care Act, people whose income or whose family's income fall below a certain percentage of the poverty line or within a certain percentage of the poverty line, excuse me. Right. And that's been something you've covered a lot as well. Just the process is ongoing there with getting a new contracts and that sort of thing. It's been interesting this year. All right. Well, um, I'm going to wrap it up there. looks like we're running out of time here, but before we go, let's have you guys share your social media handles where people can find you on uh, social and uh, Jason, I'll start with you on this. 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scoop Thomas. And I'm also very active on LinkedIn under my name, Jason Thomas. All right. Would you get jealous if I just changed my name to Scoop <laughs> Man? And then uh, it wouldn't be the and just totally I could like what I didn't steal scoop. that from you. Uh, <laughs> that would be you. like very in the spirit of journalism, where like one agency gets a scoop and then the other one's like, okay, yeah, I'm doing oh, the same story, go. but oh, I didn't notice you did. Okay, uh, that happens a lot. Um, and further commentary on Jason's uh, name. If you're ever thinking about being a uh, entrepreneur, you got to get into the ice cream game, man. You already got the social media <laughs> you got presence the tag, right. <laughs> That's smart. Haley, how about you? Um, I'm most active on Twitter at BFLewHaley, um, and I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. All right. And Chris, how about you? Yeah, find me on Twitter at BFLewChris, and then I'm also on LinkedIn and very active there. It's just, I'm under Chris Larson, and I'm the guy wearing the black button, button-down shirt. All right. You can find me on Twitter at BFLouDavid and on Instagram at DMan3001. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to the Access Louisville podcast on popular podcast services like Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Uh, Thank you very much, Haley, Jason, and Chris. Thank you guys for listening at home, and we'll see you next time. Bye.